I'm Brian Fabian Crane and I'm here with Sebastian Couture. We just got back from Amsterdam where we attended Bitcoin 2014 conference, which took place from May 15th to 17th. It was the second conference organized by the Bitcoin Foundation and over 1,000 people gathered for three days of talks and conversations. We had the opportunity to interview many speakers and attendees and talk about their projects and perspectives. We will release those episodes over the coming weeks. On today's episode, we have five interviews from people doing very different things in the Bitcoin space. So in case you still don't know what Ripple is and how it works, David Schwartz, chief cryptographer at Ripple Labs, explains the basic principles of the Ripple payment system. Then, John Peters, CEO of Cambrian, explains his company's very ambitious project to develop an autonomous city with an open-source economy in Honduras. Next, we have Edward Karatov, who is responsible for business development at Cryptonet.net, a cryptocurrency marketplace. Then we have Iso Van Drager from the Green Gateway Fund, who gives us his thoughts on the threats and opportunities facing Bitcoin from a VC's perspective. And finally, Richard Catano and Matt Tuzolo tell us about their app, BTC Report, which beautifully delivers Bitcoin price charts and recent news updates to your iPhone. Uh, my name is David Schwartz. I'm the chief cryptographer at Ripple Labs. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about Ripple and how it works? Sure. Um, Ripple is essentially a protocol. It's a system uh, that's used to exchange things of value. And the way the system is designed, the things of value can be anything. So they can be dollars, they can be euros, they can be bitcoins. And we're positioning it as a payment platform. And there's also Ripple the currency, right? Right. It has a currency inside it that you can kind of think of as the sort of Bitcoin of Ripple, which is an internal currency primarily used to pay transaction fees, but it can also be used as a real cryptocurrency. So if you have to explain people like where is Ripple going to be used, why is this important? Can you maybe talk a bit about that? We're kind of hoping that Ripple will be used for all of the things that payment systems are used for today. So essentially to make payments between businesses, between consumers and merchants and so on. We're kind of positioning it as a payment platform built around cryptocurrency technology. And why wouldn't you just use Bitcoin for that? Well, you could if you wanted to hold Bitcoins and you wanted to receive Bitcoins. And perhaps in the future, people will use Bitcoins that way. And that, that's certainly happening. But um, the joke that I make is there's still a multi-trillion dollar market in legacy fiat currencies. Uh, yeah. You can't ignore them. And you're not going to be able to grow Bitcoin if you don't have really good bridges between cryptocurrencies and conventional currencies. So if I understand it correctly, it basically means you kind of have a, you know, a maybe U.S. dollar to Ripple and then on the other side to U.S. dollar thing. So, you know, you have the cryptocurrency backbone that makes it cheap and efficient, but people don't have to hold cryptocurrency. Is that correct? That's correct. So it's, it's kind of a different approach to what, let's say, BitPay does if they automatically convert it or if you had a... Right, except it's distributed and it's all public. So it's an open platform in which anyone can participate rather than a closed platform in which a particular vendor is essentially the party of all transactions. And what do you think about transaction fees? Do you think Ripple transaction fees are going to be cheaper than Bitcoins? It's kind of hard to predict the future. It's going to depend on the volumes of transactions that both of those systems see and to some extent how well they can scale in the future to accommodate higher transaction volumes. I, think, I don't think anybody wants transaction fees to be a barrier. 
But if either of those systems succeed wildly, it's natural that transaction fees will go up. But then there will be a lot of technical pressure to resolve those issues. I'm pretty confident that both systems will be able to scale, whether that's off blockchain or off ledger transactions, or whether it's improvements to the core networks themselves. So I've often wondered, because I've read about Ripple, and I haven't read about Ripple in the depth that I, I truly understand it. I still feel like there are significant parts that don't get. So one thing is that you're kind of passing on IOUs, right? Right. So where's the default risk in here and how is that handled? So one thing that's very important to understand is that, is that you cannot hold an asset you have not agreed to hold in Ripple. So if you want to hold, let's say, Bitcoins at Bitstamp, you have to agree to hold Bitcoins at Bitstamp. So, and there's no sort of cascading default. A payment path exists only for the duration of that payment. And then everybody is just left with a balance in an asset that they've agreed to hold. And that's very important because otherwise you could get things like cascading defaults or assets where you don't know how you're supposed to redeem them. Um, and so we designed the system with uh, safeties to make it practical to have wide varieties of currencies and wide variety of issuers by making sure that everybody knows exactly who they're trusting and what for and has their choice of who to trust. So you're always only trusting one party that you, of your choice, exactly. But then what if that party relies on someone else and someone else defaults on them and now they're unable to pay, even if... So traditionally, you would rely on a party who doesn't rely on anybody else. Um, we call them gateways. And so what a gateway does, and this is a critical concept to make the system scale, a gateway operates very much like a conventional bank. They take deposits in their local currency and they issue an electronic asset denominated in their local currency on Ripple. And then people can pass that asset around. They can trade it for other assets. And at some point, somebody who holds that asset in Ripple can go to the gateway and make essentially a withdrawal. We call it a redemption, but it's essentially a withdrawal. One of the nice things about that is the only way to get into and out of Bitcoin is through an exchange, which is an, a business that has to deal with Bitcoins. Um, you can get into and out of Ripple through, an exchange, through a gateway, and gateways don't have to deal in cryptocurrencies. They can deal with just the fiat currencies that you're used to. We're hoping that that will make it easier to scale the sort of cash-in and cash-out pathways in Ripple. Okay, no, that makes sense. So, uh, in, so that, does that mean you, kind of, you will hold your value often with, with the gateway? Or? Right. So the gateway is sort of the custodian of the underlying custodian, asset. Yeah, okay. So like, if I put $10 into Ripple, I might go to a company called SnapSwap, which is a U.S. dollar gateway, and I give them the $10, and they issue $10 to me in Ripple. Then I might pay those $10 to somebody else. And they can go back to SnapSwap and say, I want my $10. And yeah. SnapSwap will pay those $10 to them. Okay. I've also recently, there's been news that, you know, there's some cooperation with Fedor Bank. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. So um, Fedor is a banking company. They operate as a bank. And they have um, internal payments that they make between uh, essentially their own divisions. It's almost like moving money from one pocket to another. And it seems like that would be very simple to do. And it turns out on the type of scale that banks operate, that's actually a fairly complex problem. So we approached them and said, maybe you could use Ripple to solve this particular problem. And that's exactly what they're doing now. So rather than paying a third party, let's say, to move money between their branches, they move the money within Ripple themselves. And that means they, they, the money is not, not held at all. The money is instantaneously available. So is, is that for the branches in Germany or for uh, international transfers. I, I'm not certain. I believe that it is just domestic. Yeah. Okay. And I presume that's a problem all banks have. Yeah, it, that's that, that's true. It's surprisingly uh, true, especially banks that do various different businesses. Like they're not just, let's say, a conventional deposit taking, but they might also have investment arms and they might have mortgage arms. 
and they deal with their own companies all the time. And often they deal with their own companies using the same payment flows that they deal with external companies. So they're, they're using outside payment systems to move money between their own accounts. It's, it's surprisingly inefficient. I know, it's surprising it almost, me, yeah. Right. Um, and, and that's something that you find throughout the financial system and the payments business because many of these systems are very, very old. Like when you use your bank's website or mobile app, you're thinking, wow, this is a website, this is a mobile app, this is brand new technology, and it is. But if you go just the tiniest bit beneath the surface, you'll find the same payment systems and the same rails underneath it that people have been using since the 70s. So one question really to the Fedor Bank. Does that mean each branch or part of the you know, Fedor Bank that moves money becomes a gateway? Not yet. Not yet. Um, we'll, see. we'll see where that goes. Um, one of the nice things about getting banks to do anything with a cryptocurrency is you kind of, um, nobody wants to kind of take the first move. Uh, a lot of companies will tell us that they're very interested in using Bitcoins. They're very interested in doing things with Ripple, but they don't necessarily want to be the first person. They're not necessarily yeah. brave enough or there are regulatory challenges and it's difficult to get them to sort of push the button and make it live. So anything that we can get a financial institution or bank to do with Bitcoin or with Ripple, with cryptocurrencies uh, will help pave the way. No, absolutely. And the Fido Bank has been kind of a leading in that way in, in Europe at least. Yeah, very um, encouraging. So if you look in the future, what's kind of the main challenges uh, Ripple is facing, or problems that still need to be solved? Well, we have a lot of chicken and egg problems. A lot of cases where just, you have the same problem in Bitcoin. Like if all of your friends use Bitcoin, then it would make much more sense for you to use Bitcoin. But if they don't, then it doesn't make as much yeah. sense. And there are a lot of those. And so the challenge is to look for ways to break those dependencies. Remittance is one area where if you build just a couple of pieces, you have enough to make a remittance path and people will actually use that path. Um, bringing on market makers and Ripple so that um, currency conversion becomes more efficient so that you don't have very thin markets will help to bring payments on board. And then once there's payments on board, that'll attract more market makers. Uh, but gateways are, are a major focus for us. We desperately need more gateways. Okay. And can anybody become a gateway or you have to think about the local regulations, I presume? Well, as far as the technical network is concerned, if you create an account, you can be a gateway. You can issue an asset yeah. and you don't need anybody's permission to do so. But obviously, if you want people to rely on you and you don't want your local government to have a problem, you have to figure out regulatory compliance. A lot of what Ripple Labs does is help people who want to become gateways or people who want to use the network to, to deal with regulatory challenges and compliance challenges. So please, if you're interested in starting a gateway, contact <laughs> us. You know, we're, we're, we're looking to help. So where is the opportunity there as a, as a business? Do you, uh, do you take a fee for the withdrawal? Or? So gateways can use any number of different revenue models. So they can charge an account setup fee. They could charge a monthly account maintenance fee. They could charge for deposits and withdrawals. Ripple also supports what's called a transfer fee, where essentially the gateway takes a small piece every time an asset they issue moves from one person to another. So that way they essentially can make money without doing anything. Right now, interest rates are essentially at 0%, so there's no benefit to holding other people's money. But in the future, interest rates may begin to climb, and there may be a revenue model just like traditional banks have, where you're holding people's money, and you get some interest on that. Cool. And you're going to talk, give a talk tomorrow or today? Tomorrow, yeah. I'll be tomorrow. Tomorrow. And you, you say you're going to talk a bit about privacy, and how can you talk a bit about that in the context of Ripple? Sure. So for the future of cryptocurrencies, they're going to have to be able to comply with existing regulations, uh, regulations about money laundering um, and so on. And so what we're looking to do is to give 
consumers more control over the flow of their own information. So right now, if you want to deal with an exchange, you have to go through there, know your customer policies. You may have to send your password to them and other documents. And then you have to start that whole process all over at the next gateway. And it's very balkanized and you don't necessarily know who you're dealing. You don't know who you're dealing with when you send these documents. So we're building an identity infrastructure based around Ripple where consumers will have control over how their own identity is used, who it's revealed to and when. So uh, law enforcement will be able to get to those things when they need them, but you won't necessarily have to be revealing them to everybody you're trying to do business with. But that will be a kind of a centralized service by Ripple. We're or... hoping to make it as decentralized as possible. So someone is going to have to hold that information and that entity is going to have to be responsible to do things like respond to subpoenas. We would prefer that not be us. So yeah. uh, our general policy is to help other people do things. Um, if we need something to be done and no one's willing to do it, we won't let that hold the network back. We'll do it ourselves if nobody else would. But our business model is essentially to enable other people to do things as much as possible. And then your business model as a company is interesting too, no? which is essentially that you're holding the Ripple coins. And if Ripple's going to become successful, a lot of people will need those for transactions. Is that correct? What we expect is you won't necessarily so much need them. We expect the transaction fees to remain very, very small. Over 100 years, you're talking maybe 1% or 2% of the value of XRP could conceivably come from transaction fees. We don't see that as a revenue model. The okay. transaction fees are basically just an anti-spam so that someone can't blast the network with millions of transactions and make it unusable. What we foresee is that XRP will become sort of an intermediary currency. So if you imagine that U.S. dollars might be issued by 20 gateways and there might be hundreds of currencies used on the network, the way to make an asset liquid so that people can use it in payment very easily and convert very easily, we think will be to uh, create markets to and from XRP. XRP is universal in Ripple. It's trustless. There's no counterparty and it flows with no fees of any kind. So we're hoping its inherent efficiency will allow it to become sort of like a uh, a reference currency or and, intermediary. And where would the business model for Ripple as a company be then? So Ripple holds a significant amount of XRP. And if but XRP, it would be then uh, the profiting from the value increase of XRP. Right. An increased demand for XRP yeah. with the growth of the network would increase its value. Okay, cool. I think, I find that fascinating because I, I think that's the first company I know of that does, you know, that has a business model like that. I guess now you do see more of those decentralized uh, protocols that do a similar thing, but you know, Ripple is like a VC-funded company, right? And, and they're the fir first company that they essentially like issued tokens to themselves, and if the network's going to be successful, that's going to determine the value of the company. It's right. fascinating. So it makes our financial incentive to build the network and get as much adoption and usefulness out of it as we possibly can, because we believe that's where our revenues will come. Yeah, no, I think in terms of aligning incentives, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much. Pleasure. Uh, my name is John Peters. Um, I'm the CEO of Cambrian, um, and um, I work with Elevator Cities Development in Honduras. And uh, Honduras changed the constitution and put together some legislation to allow for quasi-autonomous, semi-autonomous um, uh, regions, zones. And so you're in charge of developing one of those? We're a developer of one of the zones. Okay, right. how big is it going to be? So they've, they've reserved the entire north coast and south coast of Honduras for developers of these zones. So you could build like, a, I don't know, a few million people city? Or? If someone wanted to build something the size of Hong Kong over time, you could do they that. could do it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And uh, how does that relate to Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? 
Well, the, the, the chance to um, start from a blank sheet of paper from a regulatory framework means that, like many in Bitcoin, we can rethink how um, an economy maybe as a service could operate from the ground up, um, how things could uh, be a little more efficient. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to have a national currency? or There is no restriction to currencies at all. In the zone, so we can use any currency. Do, do you know like already to. in what direction you want to go? Well, we're really focused on um, building the software infrastructure, a decentralized infrastructure to support an economy as a service. So, yeah. the whole stack starting from identity, economy as a service. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, there's a whole business stack, right? From so, the, you from can identity. open source the, uh, the economy, open source. Yeah, yeah. open source. It's hard to, uh, it's hard. To find good business models uh, when you're disintermediating things, right? Um, they're there. They're there. But they're not in the core peer-to-peer infrastructure. Um, we want to build the quote-unquote core peer infrastructure, give that away, and then there's educations around decentralized law firms, uh, corporate registries on the ground, that kind of stuff that bridge the gap between um, the cryptocurrency uh, space and Bitcoin 2.0 space and the real world. So where do you see that going in a few years? Do you think like a lot of maybe uh, cryptocurrency businesses will move there or is is, is that a focus it's specifically? Or It's not. Our focus is more the developing world Yeah. And, and, and the issues that they have there. So access issues, system access issues, there's a lot of lockout, particularly in the developing world. So we want to develop, develop a system with a very easy on-ramp for anybody to use. Yeah. Um, free for the most part. Um, very, very simple to use. So the system that we're developing is almost Facebook Skype-like in its user interface. So you can send cryptocurrency to another user with one, cl- one, one click. Um, your identity, you own your identity at the center. You can formalize your corporations, your, um, you know, your directors in the voting. It's not a gentleman's agreement so much as, as say, a corporation is in, yeah, yeah. in our world anymore, more, more along the lines of a smart contract. That kind of infrastructure, all the way from identity communications, formalization, legal systems, arbitration market and marketplaces, um, and then funding, that whole stack is what we're interested in developing on the software side first. And then, yeah. So where are you guys at now? What's the stage? So we've, uh, our development team is uh, based out of Guatemala City, and uh, we have 12, 12 people full-time on it right now. We started building back in June. Um, and uh, we've got uh, our identity and our end-to-end encryption uh, communications working, and we're moving on to multi-sig and marketplace right now. But it's interesting. So you're really focusing on software now. We're fo- software and hardware. So I'm 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 heading up the software side. Yeah. And my partner Gabriel Degato is uh, is uh, heading up the ground game in Honduras. So the the city the city development. The and city development. are you? Um how you do? Are you funding that? Did you raise privately. venture capital? Yeah, or? we raised money privately for it. Yeah. Okay. So we're first focused on building infrastructure in Honduras, power plants, um, plain fiber, um, uh, that kind of stuff for our zone. That's what we're working on right now. Yeah. That's our priority right now is to build the core infrastructure for for the zone. And when are you going to have the first people move there, or you know, building scale, etc.? So probably a, at least a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. yeah. It's a years. gigantic. Uh, undertaking ah, it's, yeah it's start, starting small starting yeah. humble and small right yeah is, uh, is, is, is how we're starting um, and, and then uh, yeah inviting others to join us and so you we're really in a platform for other people to, to come in and, and build their own 
communities, really. Is what we're focused so on. are you also going to allow kind of different um, social structures, different community within that? Yeah, or absolutely. It's, it's kind of like a HOA, a homeownership association, yeah. right? So you can come in, you know, there's a very thin rule set on the top. Uh, that we've been in place, but but the the core rule set that that a, another developer wants to wants to adopt is really up to them. So it fits into some basics. You could have like a sub community that does uh, maybe some social security stuff. Absolutely, and it wouldn't be part of the top layer though. Like taxation, is there going to be taxation? The only taxation that we're um, considering is a land value tax. Yeah. Right. So just property tax. Okay. The tax nowhere else. Cool. We like that. We like that. All that. Alliance incentives a little better. It's not perfect, but it's better. It Why do you seems. think that aligns incentives better? Uh, number of ways, right? Talking about access for people earlier. So the higher your land value tax, your property tax, the more incentive there is to develop density. Yeah. Uh, the less speculation there is on the land, right? So you're not going to hold a piece of land and pay a high tax yeah. on it. So that keeps it affordable for Honduras. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, no. Well, uh, thanks so much. So if people want to learn more about uh, your project, where can they uh, look up, you up? Uh, Cambrian.org. Okay. And, uh, and sign up for our email newsletter there. And uh, elevatorcities.com. Elevator Cities is a different Elevator Cities is, is, the, um, is the real estate project in Honduras. And Cambrian is the software project. Okay. Yeah, cool. the economy as a service project. So like two years online, I can just, uh, you know, get... Come on get, down. Get, get forced out and uh, <laughs> start my own. Or like coming out. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Cool. Well, this is fascinating. I was super. I, I've heard this before. You know, I've heard of people working on this vaguely, but you're the first person I met that actually does it. And uh, it's extremely interesting to hear those details. Great talking to you. Yeah, Looking thanks so much. Down there. Okay. My name is Edward. Uh, I represent the CryptoNet uh, trading platform. So we offer users a uh, possibility to trade uh, crypto coins to crypto coins and crypto coins to fiat money. And where are you guys based? Uh, we are legally based in the United Kingdom and we are um, operationally located in Belarus. So our customer support and technical development is located in, in Belarus. And when you do the like uh, cryptocurrency to fiat currency thing... Uh, that's euros or US dollars? Yes, that's a good question. We actually offer US dollars and uh, euros. As okay, a, as a and then you can also do payouts in both countries. So if you exactly, US, so we do deposits and withdrawals both in euros and dollars. Oh, cool. And uh, you have lots of different currencies? We, um, at the current moment, we offer trading for Bitcoin, Litecoin, uh, Namecoin. Dogecoin. <laughs> Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, Feathercoin, Terracoin, and uh, of course, Beercoin. Okay. Well, Dogecoin's missing there, no? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. do um, a job in this. Yeah, when did you guys get started? Actually, we have started in the Bitcoin economy quite a while ago. We have launched back in 2012. That's but, uh, way old. Yeah, we have soon. not uh, advertised or promote our, promote our, uh, our service, but we have recently done a big restructuring. We have launched fiat trading, and that's why we decided that it's time to give uh, our project a second burst. And now we're we're starting more active promotion. And, uh, cool. And can you tell us a bit about you know what what's your goal? Uh, do you want to be like an exchange that uh, other 
other companies build their service on, maybe through an API, or do you just want to have like Actually, a really liquid altcoin market? Or what? Okay, that's a very good guys? question. Basically, our main purpose is providing a really robust and reliable trading platform. So basically, our main purpose is uh, to offer exchange and trading possibilities for people and companies. And as concerning your second question concerning the API, we do offer this possibility, but it's not our main business. But we're certainly interested in the technical partnerships with uh, other companies and individuals. So it's kind of a service that's designed for, you know, frequent traders, yes, day traders. Exactly. So yes, for traders, for people who are interested in earning some margin. On, on yeah, and also, are you also targeting financial institutions? We have not worked with financial institutions yet a lot, but we're certainly uh, planning to do that as well as we gain some traction. As for now, we're mostly working with individuals. And how is your trading volume? Do you have a lot of liquidity? Uh, As I said before, we didn't promote our service uh, yet a lot. So for now, you can call our trading more episodical, but we're certainly starting to gain more liquidity as we're starting to launch our services. And we will put more atten- more attention to promotion now, so we could gain more users. Cool. And uh, so, what's can you tell us a bit about the Bitcoin scene in Belarus? Uh, okay, like that's there? an interesting question. The thing is that it's not regulated. There are no laws that uh, constitute for Bitcoin in Belarus. But uh, there are people, a lot of people who are interested in this. So there's a vibrant community, meetups, Yeah, there talks. is. There are people interested in mining mainly. mainly. So there okay. are a lot of mining communities and people, uh, you know, starting to discuss these things widely. So I'm sure that in, at some point of time in the future, there will be more steps that will uh, bring Bitcoin on, a, on another level in, in my country. So uh, we are the first evening of the conference now. It's kind of before it started. What's what are you hoping to get out of this conference? What are you most looking forward to? Actually, it's uh, it's the first conference for us as well, and we're doing our best at finding you know people who are really putting a lot of effort in the Bitcoin economy at all. We're looking for new partners. We're excited to learn about new services that people offer, and we're excited to meet people who are already using our service. You know, the people who are already having uh, some partnerships with us. We're also happy to meet our uh, people who help us on the legal stage, you know, help with the compliance. So we see this as a great networking event and we cool. really enjoy it. Cool. Well, thanks, Edward. And, uh, you know, I hope you'll enjoy the conference. And, okay, thank uh, you. I look forward to seeing lots of activity from uh, CryptoNet. Thank you. Thank oh, you. maybe uh, just if people want to find your website, it's... Okay, it's sure. It's www.cryptonet.com cryptonit.net Okay, perfect. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. I'm uh, Ijsel Vaandrager. Um, I'm working at Green Gateway Fund, which is a venture capital fund. Um, Yeah, doing more, a little bit more growth stage investments, so larger tickets. Um, And I'm here at the Bitcoin conference in Amsterdam, um, having a look what's, uh, what's happening in this whole new financial sector. Um, so where does your interest from Bitcoin come from? Uh, my interest was sparked by my brother. Uh, he works at Google and several years ago, yeah, he, he got into Bitcoins and uh, yeah, he's been pretty involved since, since then. And yeah, 
two and a half years, he tried, you know, let me buy some Bitcoins, but I couldn't do it. I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> um, sure it's probably connected with some slight feeling of regret. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well yeah. it doesn't, no, I, I think um, the future of Bitcoin is still you know, very much yeah. ahead of us. Um, I, and I really don't care about the valuation, you know, how much Bitcoin is worth, etc. Because that's that's not the real value yeah. of it. Um, it's it's so I rather see kind of statistics of you know the actual transactions Research. between goods. Yeah, yeah. So trading up and down, etc. That's that's less relevant. Um, but the whole concept of that yeah you know, decentralized trust network. Yeah. So of course money and and transactions is one of them. But if you look at you know the the possibilities of Namecoin and, and uh, Ethereum, those technologies um, can be used in such wider uh, yeah applications. So, what do you think is the biggest uh, kind of threat to Bitcoin at the moment? Um, that's very hard to say um, because first of all, it's, it's so global that you know if one country bans it. Doesn't really really affect it. Yeah. Um, I think that, that the main thing is that people need to be realistic about it. That you know, it, it will take a, a while before this is implemented in society, and it might go faster in, in certain areas than you would expect. But but still, um, it's 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 a new technology just like the internet you, you still have to build websites and services yeah. etc on top of it that will take some some a while so i don't think the biggest threat is there because if one you know if for example bitcoin gets attacked or yeah, something happens so no whatever yeah um no it's of course there're going to be regulations and going it's it's going to be a a roller coaster anyway you know it's going to go up and down up and down yeah, you know, I mean, look through it. I, I feel regulation can slow it down a lot, but you can't really. Uh, yeah, but then you have one country that deregulates it, and everybody goes there. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a global thing. It's very hard, and I don't think that you know all the governments in the whole world are gonna no, you know <laughs> come to suddenly that consensus. That has never happened in the history of humanity. <laughs> exactly, I don't think it's gonna happen for Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so you you mentioned the decentralized applications. Do you yeah. think Bitcoin is First, going to be uh, really successful as as a money, as a currency or payment system, or do you think it's going to be those, you know, Bitcoin two point zero applications? Um, so it depends on what you think is successful, right? Yeah. So if you think you know a high valuation of Bitcoin is successful, I don't or know. Perhaps number of users. Uh, yeah. So number. So I think I. So personally, looking at it, I think a, a large. Uh, part of the the, the, the the value is in developing worlds because there the five billion people you know don't have a bank account. There are more people with a with a smartphone in the world than that have a bank account. These people don't have savings. These people can't buy stuff online. Um, so I think this technology um, can be you know if it gets into those areas, that's gonna you know. Uh, have a massive impact. Um, I don't know how fast it's going to be, but I would say that would be a success. You yeah. know, giving access to banking services to people that don't have access to that. So it really depends what you define success. 
No, that makes total sense. So uh, if you think about your work as a, as a VC, but not so much in the Bitcoin space, are you are you interested in at some point investing in Bitcoin companies or is, is that not part of uh, the focus of your fund? Um, the current fund, no, um, but we're working on a new fund. Um, and then kind of fintech would be definitely, uh, uh, so financial technology would definitely be a component of that fund. Um, and... So if you just not only zoom in into um, yeah bitcoins, but just just the financial sector itself, the amount of innovation going on right there, and how basically the position of banks are being attacked from you know all sides, but with kind of specialized services. Um, yeah, for example, Lending Club they yeah. now have two billion of of loans they've processed. Um, you know that, and that's two billion going, you know, out of the banks, and if you know, uh, yeah, uh, mortgages, you know, um, your insurance, etc. That was used to be all bundled in a bank, but that's it's getting unbundled very rapidly. So um, interesting times. I know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what do you most look forward to at the conference? Are you, do you have any talks you really want to see or people you want to meet? Um, I spoke with uh, Mike Hirsch uh, yesterday. Mike He'll be uh, Mike Hearn. Uh, yeah, I spoke with Mike Hearn yeah. yesterday. Um, I yeah, I really like how he you know, views it, this uh, this sector. Um, so he'll be speaking uh, around lunchtime. So definitely going to check him out. Um, but yeah, uh, I think there are too many you know, interesting speakers to hear. You know, what are they thinking at this moment? Where, where are things happening? Um, so, I'm, so at this moment, um, you know, we don't have a fund. We don't do investments yeah, in fintech. But in a year or so, we might. So, you know, this is a long-term thing and we're, we're, we're having a look at it. Cool. Well, thanks very much and uh, enjoy the conference. All right. Thank you, Brian. Hi, I'm uh, Richard Catano and uh, one of the uh, developers of BTC Report, an iOS app that helps tell the uh, Bitcoin story in an easy, in an easy way. I'm uh, Matt Tozzolo. I'm currently the lead iOS developer on BTC Report. Are you guys just an iOS? Yeah, for now we're just on iOS, but uh, we're expanding our team to uh, develop HTML5 and uh, an Android native Android app. And the app is basically, you know, has a price, and um, you're gonna have a news feed as well. But yeah, so so the so the idea was to try and leverage good design to bring this information in a clear way for the mass. We wanted to like tell the story of Bitcoin and this like continuum of the price charts, but also start integrating in like relevant news stories and how this how those stories impact the average consumer, the average Bitcoin user. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the app and I have been using it you know, for a while and I can definitely confirm design-wise, you guys are top-notch. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so what are the plans with BTC Report? Where are you planning to take this? Well, so we're really excited uh, to have Matt just join us. It was about three, four months ago. Yeah. He joined us, yeah. And he took the, the last version and, and uh, brought it up to date with a lot of the things that we wanted to build. And so we just released the 5.0. And we have uh, kind of some plans for the next 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. And these plans include um, just bringing in more features, including uh, we want to work with uh, content providers. Uh, we've been talking with uh, some, some folks from 
Coindesk and some other folks that maybe like provide commentary on the feed. And then also we want to integrate, we want to create a way to expand the app to, to like be able to plug in different kinds of specific things like maybe mining pool information or open map information. Like, you know, we can so you can find like uh, places where you can spend Bitcoin exactly. to buy. Yeah, like our friends from Spender would be a great example. We would like yeah. to plug them into the uh, to the report. BTC reports being one place where you can come and easily find information to interact with the community. So. Cool. I mean, there there was a similar app. No, it was Zero Block, mm. and uh, you know, they they it seems like they are going towards a sort of a trading support thing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see in the long run, you see yourselves being kind of a, a platform for Bitcoin users? Or do you also think it's going to go more in a financial direction? Do you have a view there? I think, uh, I think the differences are, are mostly that the BTC report is kind of focused towards people who are interested in Bitcoin, maybe don't know what some of the more technical aspects of it are. And so it's more of like a welcome into the Bitcoin ecosystem for them. They can see price in their national currency where they live, they can choose an exchange that they maybe have bought Bitcoin on and just focus on that exchange. Um, and hopefully soon they'll be able to do things like uh, see what's current with the news, maybe find out where they can buy and spend Bitcoin. More sort of everyday type uses for Bitcoin. Yeah, I think, you know, I, if I, if I, when I scale out, I kind of step back a little bit, I kind of see, um, so you definitely have this trading, day trading Bitcoin kind of activity. But aside from that, I do see um, as we become more global with the Bitcoin within the Bitcoin space that you're going to find a lot of people interacting with their local currency. So for us, it's more important to get a to get a clear and kind of simplistic view of the of the pricing of the price uh, between different currencies. So we're more interested in expanding that list as far as we can go out. And so we do also include other like non type of market uh, non type of trading markets like say. Um, Coinbase, for example, we include as one of our tickers. They're not really a trading uh, platform, but people use them a lot to buy and sell their Bitcoin. Yeah. So, th- so, so we want to target those, like the average consumer Bitcoin and the potential consumer Bitcoin, like who will be coming online in the next five years, right? And I, th- I think for that, a, a big focus is, um, I think it has been and will, you know, will continue to be, is uh, supporting uh, kind of the international market. So as many fiat currencies as we can, as many small exchanges as we can, localizing the app into as many languages as we can. Because ultimately, as yeah, Bitcoin grows, it's yeah. going to be, it's a global phenomenon. So. And the other thing we want to get into, which we are planning probably around the next uh, 5.3 version, would be uh, pulling in cryptocurrencies. Uh, so other currencies like Dogecoin? Dogecoin, or- Litecoin, all the coins, all the coins that we can find, right. basically plugging those in. And making it, you know, it's part of Yeah, I think we think that BTC Report can be, I mean, it's obviously a really beautiful tool for, for people right now. It's a little more geared towards the larger market, but I think it can also be something that's really useful and enjoyable for people who are serious traders or who are you know, very well-versed. So if Apple in the future is going to, you know, go away with their ban of Bitcoin wallets, would you want to integrate a wallet as well? Yeah. Um... Possibly. I mean, we've been considering the idea of integrating a wallet or a partial wallet, as much of a wall um, as much of a wallet as we can implement up until now, which probably isn't very much. But we, you know, we're looking at maybe being able to just receive coins because it's just a simple QR code for now. But um, 
we're uh, we're modifying the design where we can plug in different widgets into the to the app, and that could be a, a launching point for implementing our own wallet or someone else's wallet. Yeah. Cool. So, are, are you guys working on this full time, or do you have other projects as well? Uh, you know, sometimes it's full time, sometimes it's not. Uh, there's a uh, I've been pretty much full-time on BTC Report since uh, maybe early spring uh, this year and probably will be for a little while longer. Um, but yeah, we have some other projects, yeah. both Rich and I. I've been working on BTC Report since uh, 2011 and sometimes it's full-time and sometimes it's not. Yeah, um, we have some other Bitcoin projects that we're working on as well and trying to develop. So, Do you want to talk about that? Um, I'd like to keep it a little secret for now. Okay, yeah. then we'll We're come still, back to that when you're ready to launch. Okay, well, thanks so much. And um, we'll look forward to hanging out at the conference. Thanks very much. So we hope you enjoyed this episode about the Bitcoin 2014 conference. If you liked our coverage, please consider tipping us at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. And tune in next week for more interviews and coverage of Bitcoin 2014.